All right, my name's Paul. <laughs> That's funny to those who know me. It's not. I'm Pete. Hope to meet you soon. If I haven't met you yet, let's pray together. <laughs> Father God, what, a, what an absolute gift that we do not deserve. Um, first, to be alive. Uh, second, to be here. Third and fourth and fifth, and we can keep going. But God, we are... Just recipients of grace. God, your common grace is everywhere. Um, The mountains we see as we walk outside and look at Baker, Lake Whatcom, um, the reality that, uh, God, that we, um, for most of us at least, don't want to assume, but have shoes on our feet or um, have had some food recently. Um, Maybe have a place to stay. God, these are um, gifts from you to us, and they are evidence of your common grace that you lavish. So we thank you for those, God, and we thank you for um, your salvific grace, God. That is the reality that many of us here, not all of us know you, Jesus, and we thank you for those here who who don't know you um, and are curious and asking good questions, God. But for those who who, who know you, Lord, and follow you, um, you have saved us, and it is of your sheer grace and mercy alone that we know you. I love what Paul prayed um, just a few moments ago, that we get to come to your throne confidently because of your grace, God. It is nothing we've earned, nothing we've merited, nothing we've done, no, no performance, no resume, no nothing like that, that we get to come to you. We just come to, get to come to you as we are because of your grace because of the sufficient work of Jesus on behalf of anyone who trusts in him. Holy Spirit, shine the spotlight on our King here this morning. We need him more than we know, uh, more deeply than we know. So stir our affections for him. And Jesus is in your name we pray. Amen. Growing up, there were two things that I looked forward to. Number one was Christmas. Duh. And number two was Keller. Keller is this campground. Eastern Washington on Lake Roosevelt. And this was a campground that we went to every year from when I was three years old to 23 years old. Somewhere around early to mid-August or so, my family and I would go on a family vacation to Keller for a week or so. So Christmas would happen when I was a kid, and then I would look forward to Keller. And then Keller would happen as a kid, and then I would look forward to Christmas. These were these two kind of crown jewels, these kind of milestone markers for me throughout my childhood, Christmas and Keller. So Keller, this is what would happen. We'd be getting ready um, to go on family vacation, and usually the night before, this is when I was, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years old or something like that, um, I would start to get uh, amped up, start to anticipate anticipate what was about to happen, because this was such a, a cherished memory for me growing up. And the night before, I'd usually talk to my parents and be like, hey, is there any way we could start packing now? <laughs> could I start packing the car now? And usually my bag was packed because I knew that, that the sooner we could pack the car, the sooner we get to go to Keller, to this family vacation that was so cherished for me. So I'd be packing the car, wake up early the, the, the following morning, the day we're going to leave, and usually wake up, I don't know, 6, 7 a.m., which was early for me at the time, and, and pack the car. How, how can we pack this thing so we can get going? And we drive usually four or five hours sometimes, six hours with rest stops maybe, um, to eastern Washington, this place on Lake Roosevelt. And 
As we were getting closer, there's this town called Wilbur. My guess is nobody knows Wilbur. Has anyone heard of Wilbur? Perry, wonderful. Wow, we have some Wilburites, whatever. There's probably 500 people that live there maybe, probably 5,000 cows that live there. Wilbur's great. So you get to Wilbur, and you're about 15 or 20 minutes to Keller once you hit this Wilbur kind of milestone. Um, And then from Wilbur to Keller, you start going through these rolling wheat fields, beautiful wheat fields that that, that kind of feels like like this this roadway to heaven almost. It's not, but it kind of feels like that. Um, And as, as you get closer and closer to Keller, you can't quite see it yet, but there's this gradual uphill climb through these beautiful rolling wheat fields. And, and I remember as a kid, I started to anticipate what was about to happen because at the crest of this hill, once you arrive there through these beautiful rolling wheat fields after four, five, six hour drive, you, you're, 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 you're climbing toward the crest of this hill and you finally get to the crest of the hill and you look down on Lake Roosevelt and this lush green Keller Ferry campground and there it is, ta-da. And I knew that my anticipation for the next week would give way to experience. A cherished memory of my childhood for sure, over and over and over again. I started thinking about that and I I started thinking about, man, that happened once a year for me. What if that sort of anticipation didn't have to happen annually, but could happen weekly? Like an every Sunday sort of thing. The text that we're going to look at this morning is going to really help stir our affection, I pray, to really just love the church. Specifically, kind of two sub-themes this morning are going to be this, going to church and praying for your church. Going to church and praying for your church, with kind of the meta-narrative theme from Psalm 122 being loving your church. This morning probably won't be new or novel or anything like that, but my hope, help, my hope is to, to help us focus in on two fundamental things, loving your church, um, specifically loving your church by going to church and praying for your church. And as we do that, the hope is that that will help us go further up, further in, in our relationship as we walk with and toward Jesus. So with that said, if you're able and willing, would you rise to your feet for the reading of God's word? This is Psalm 122, week three in our current sermon series, further up, further in through the songs of ascent, Psalm 120 through 134. So Psalm 122, where we will be this morning, says this. This is God's word. The psalmist says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as we decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. You can grab a seat. So let's just take it from the top, verse by verse, one at a time. The psalmist says, I was glad 
when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So we sit back and we can ask ourselves, okay, what is that actually saying? What is the text saying? This word glad. What does he mean when he says this, when the psalmist says this? So the psalmist is, 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 is thinking something, and then as he's thinking something, he's feeling something. So he's, he's thinking, he's kind of reminiscing back on some memories of when him and some of God's people would gather in this place called Jerusalem to worship God. And they would go there at certain times throughout the year. So the psalmist is thinking back to times when he has ventured to Jerusalem to worship God. And as he's thinking back, he's feeling something. And what he is feeling is this, 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 this feeling of gladness. Do you see it in the text? I was glad when they said to me, he's thinking back. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. This word glad, it means to rejoice. It means to be merry about something, to have joy or jubilation. He's saying, in a modern day application, he's saying, I'm glad about going to church. When I think about going to church, I'm glad about it. There's this, in this text, there's this buzz, this sense of energy or excitement that makes me think back to like high school football pregame in the locker room where music is blaring and we're amped up and energized because we know what we're about to go do. There's this buzz that we see in this text, and he's glad about getting together with God's people to worship God. <clears throat> it's likely talking about, almost for sure, likely talking about the Jerusalem temple, which in the Old Testament was the, this place where it was thought that, that, that God's glory dwelled. Jerusalem is what Ario White calls this rallying point for God's people to get together. One theologian calls this the spiritual center of God's people. Listen to this. God's people are glad to get together and worship God. That's what we see in this text. God's people are glad to get together and worship God. Verse 2 says this. It says, Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. The anticipation is, is so much so that it almost feels as if they are already there. They're on their way, journeying toward Jerusalem, and as the psalmist is anticipating what is going to be as God's people gather together in Jerusalem to worship God at this rallying point, the spiritual center, it almost feels as if they're there. Kind of like as I'm going up the hill to Keller through the rolling wheat fields, and as a kid, I, I can anticipate, almost feel what it's going to feel like and look like when we go over the crest of that hill and look down on Keller Ferry Campground. This anticipation Verse 3 says, Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. It's togetherness, structurally and spiritually. Bound firmly together means to be compacted. To be compacted tightly, using its components to stick together. This picture of God's people. Verse 4 says this, to which the tribes go up. Jerusalem, this place, this rallying point, the spiritual center to which the tribes, the 12 tribes um, um, scattered throughout the region will go up to Jerusalem. Again, to this rallying point to worship their God together. Deuteronomy chapter 12 verse 5 says this. It says, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. This would end up being Jerusalem, this rallying point 
for God's people again to worship God. Verse 5 says this. It says, the thrones of judgment were set. The thrones of the house of David. J.A. Mortier summarizes these verses this way. I think this is helpful. He says, the essence of the city of Jerusalem is its unity. The very shape of the city tells that it is together. Those who enter come as separate tribes, but they are all of the Lord. Listen to this. Motivated by obedience and with the objective of praise. Privileged by his revelation of himself. They come to a place where, in principle, under God's appointed king, everything is put to rights. They needed to pray because their Jerusalem was of this world. Ours is different, but the call to joy, unity, and prayer remains. Psalm 122 gives us this beautiful picture, kind of an example of God's people loving to get together to worship God. And for us, this is talking about, in a sense, the, the universal church at a time. And for us, how we apply Psalm 122 is in the local church context, in a church like this, a church like Redeemer. <clears throat> As I look out right now, I know a good chunk of you, many of you, most of you, whatever, um, and I know many of you love this church. Um, and this church would not exist without many of you. Um, this morning, I want to highlight an example of a woman in our church uh, who loves this church like crazy um, for the last decade or so. I think we have a picture if you want to put that up on the screen, Luis. There's Catherine. <laughs> I'll try not to make eye contact. With, actually, I'm looking for you. There you are. <laughs> this is a wonderful example of a woman who loves her church. In a, in a psalm that talks about loving your church by doing things like going to church and praying for your church. Let me tell you a story. So last week, I think, um, it was between this building and that building, in between services, I think, and uh, I see Catherine, and I know that Catherine is, is a, um, she's a friend of mine and a, a beloved member of this church for the last decade or so, and I, I know that she's moving soon. In fact, today is her last Sunday. Um, here at this church, and, uh, and I see her kind of walk in the opposite direction of me, so I just see her back, and I, I say, uh, I, I have a nickname for Catherine, and it's KG, it's not that clever, but it's, I don't know, I like it, so I say, KG, two more weeks, huh, and she's kind of walking away from me, and she turns and looks at me, and I see these kind of tears in her eyes, um, so I texted her earlier this week preparing for this <laughs> sermon that is about loving your church. And I said, Catherine, I don't know if this is the case or not, um, but tell me a little bit about what was behind those tears. And this is what Catherine said. It's a longer uh, quote. This is what she responded to my question via text. <clears throat> she says, ah, Pete, <laughs> cry face emoji. <laughs> <clears throat> Again, listen to this as a woman who has dumped tons into this church for the last decade. She says, this is so bittersweet. I didn't think it would ever be this hard to leave. Honestly, I could care less about Bellingham, but it's, pe it, but it's the people that I cherish. Remember back during the 242 days, this was this college ministry that Catherine and I were on the leadership team together in. Remember back to the 242 days, and I was graduating, and we talked about what I was going to do. 
I told you then that I had decided to stay in Bellingham, not for a job, listen to this, not for a job, but for Redeemer. And that held true until now. Redeemer has been and will always be a place that I love. People I have felt became family. I had no intention of crying last Sunday. Honestly, it came out of nowhere. When you spoke about trusting God, all I could think about was how staying in Bellingham, getting plugged into Redeemer, was a huge leap of faith. I was honestly beating myself up a bit for not trusting God enough with my life on Sunday. But then God reminded me how I have, by staying in Bellingham 11 years, with buying a home and moving to Tacoma. Then the tears started, and they just wouldn't stop. I mean, I was sobbing. I'm not a big crier and literally never in public. From the time I met Claude, who's a church planter that um, was sent out from this church, from the time I met, met Claude at the Red Square Fair up at Western, terrified of being on my own, to getting included in the 242, our college ministry at the time, Oaks, another college ministry that we did, Redeemer students, Redeemer kids, to being involved with the Bolins GC, the Bolins, uh, this missionary family that has been sent out from our church. She was part of their gospel community. Then with the fire and being supported by my current GC, Catherine says, Redeemer has been there. The tears really came when I was thinking how blessed I have been to have such a community of people where there was two rows of friends all sitting together, and in two weeks, I would go to a strange church and not have one friend, not have someone to sit with. She says, I'm grieving that. <clears throat> I hate change, and I'm making this massive change, leaving the comfort of Redeemer. It's sad. It's exciting. I'm scared. Catherine says, I love Redeemer. I'm crying writing this. I have grown so much. <clears throat> in my faith over the decade, I've been a part of this church. I learned the meaning of church membership and the importance of serving your local church. I've learned the value of discipleship. I've learned that church culture is almost as important as doctrine. I've learned that it's okay to not be okay. Parentheses, still struggling, struggling with that one though. <laughs> I've learned that my church loves me and wants the best for me, and I with them. I love Redeemer and will miss everyone terribly. We have a little video that we made for Catherine. <laughs> to get to see you making this big move to Tacoma like you've longed to do since I've known you. You are going to be so incredibly missed here at Redeemer and in Bellingham, not for the things that you've done or accomplished, but because of who you are. You're going to be so missed. Catherine is a fantastic friend. She's honest and fun and loyal and so consistent. And I think that's one of the things, one of the words that came to my mind when um, thinking about Catherine and her impact on Redeemer, just this consistent fun, loyal presence. Catherine, you are a faithful example of how to love and be part of a church really, really well. Thanks for giving us that example. You're no doubt leaving a big hole here at Redeemer and will no doubt bring a big boost to whatever church you land in in Tacoma. God bless you. We're proud of you. We're in your corner. 
Catherine, our hearts are full of gratitude for your faithful and warm friendship. We can't imagine not having you in our home or in our GC every week. We're going to miss you. Catherine Gray is one of the first ladies that I met when I first started coming to Redeemer back in 2015. I believe she is a beautiful example of what it looks like to serve the church faithfully. Um, and I know that Redeemer will definitely uh, feel her absence. Uh, we will miss you, Catherine. Catherine, we just wanted to say that we are so thankful that we know you. Thank you for being such a good friend. We're going to miss you so much. <laughs> Most of us um, won't be at the same church our whole lives. And Catherine has given us an example of what it looks like to leave a church well. And I'll just give a, a bit of a vision that I think Catherine has given us via her example. When you leave a church, hopefully for a good reason, like moving, um, leave a hole. When you leave a church, leave a hole. That's what, that's what you've done. So some of you don't even know Catherine. You're like, why are we doing this? <laughs> Our hope is to honor her and at the same time to encourage us. Many of you, this is true already. And also to inspire us to keep doing what you're doing. Keep loving your church, man. Keep loving your church by doing simple things over and over, like this text says, by going to church, <laughs> by praying for your church. Catherine, we love you. <clears throat> All right, I want to get practical. <laughs> How do we do what this text is saying? <laughs> I want to get super practical and just give us seven ways to love your church. Let me share something with you. Um, uh, a line that we've been saying recently around this church is that we want to make Sundays the best day of your week. Not in this weird, consumeristic, put-on-a-show performance kind of thing at all, but in a way that freshly points us to Jesus for our own flourishing and for the flourishing of those around us. We want to make Sundays the best day of your week. <clears throat> In Psalm 22, 122, the psalm that we're in, we see that there's a degree of intentionality. Someone say intentionality. We see this degree of intentionality that the psalmist has as he's thinking about going to Jerusalem to gather with God's people, reminiscing on that, and then trekking to Jerusalem. There's this degree of intentionality. So seven ways that you and I and we can be intentional in really how we go to church. <clears throat> A few of these are uh, poached from Eric Raymond from the Gospel Coalition, so I want to give some credit there as a few of these are from him. Number one, read and reflect upon the sermon text before Sunday. Eric Raymond says this, he says, in our church we provide the scriptures for the sermon and other readings during the week leading up to that Sunday. This enables those coming to begin gaining familiarity with the text and working through the preacher's argument and outline. Like a rake breaking up the soil. These initial reads don't do all the work in the garden, but it does begin turning the soil of our mind over, making it more receptive to receive the word preached. 
So you might be thinking, okay, how do I know what's going to be preached next Sunday? Again, very practical. If you are not subscribed to The Loop, which is our weekly church-wide email, it is on there every week. If you receive The Loop, scroll to the bottom, and, and near the very bottom, it literally says, like on this past Monday, it says, next week's text, Psalm 122. So you know via the loop. Every time it's right there, you can prep for the next Sunday. Again, a way that we can be, have a degree of uh, intentionality in going to church. If you're not subscribed, you can fill out a little connect card. I'm not trying to market here by any means. I'm trying to help us, help us go to church better or keep going to church in a good way in, in, in that sense. And fill out a connect card. Just um, check the little box that says uh, subscribe me to the loop or on our website. Um, you can scroll to the bottom of the homepage and it says subscribe to the loop right there and we'll send you that. So that's a way that you can be intentional. Reflect, read and reflect upon the sermon text before you show up here. Listen how Jeremy, a guy from our church, is putting this into practice. <clears throat> this is a text interaction I had with Jeremy earlier this week. He says, as part of my Bible reading, I've been following along with the sermons reading ahead. When I was reading the Psalms of Ascent in preparation for this sermon series, I felt called to memorize them as the sermon series progressed. I wasn't intimidating by the size as they are short, and I've noticed that in my prayer time, when my own words do not come easily, that God's word makes wonderful prayers. I relate well with the poetic soul of David and the other psalmists. I've also noticed that when I know what the verses say without needing to read them, aka he's got them memorized, then I'm able to contemplate sometimes their meaning more fully. I want to make scripture memorization a habit, Jeremy says. The best way to go about forming a habit, I'm told, is set small and achievable goals that you can build on and chain together. So now it's the Psalms of Ascent. Later, I hope to memorize Hebrews 10 and maybe even all of Hebrews at some point. He's looking ahead at what's going to be preached and working to memorize, at least in this sermon series, each psalm. I want to introduce just a little memorization challenge for us as a church. Psalm 120 through 134, that's where we're going to be for the next, until like mid-October or so. A challenge that I'm putting forward to us, for us, as a church, is that we each memorize three of these psalms. There's 15 of them. Choose three. Doesn't matter which ones. Just choose three of them. Over the next handful of months, choose three psalms that you memorize as a way that this would then stir our affections for Jesus as we continue to walk further up and further in with him. So memorize three psalms. Give me, give me one of these or yes or an amen. That's not you signing up, but it's just saying, man, I get it. Memorize three psalms. Love it. Woohoo. Thanks, Michael. Woohoo. <clears throat> okay, next one. So that was read and reflect upon the sermon text. Again, how to apply the degree of intentionality that we see the psalmist has as they're trekking to Jerusalem. How do we then apply that in modern day? Number one, read and reflect upon the sermon text before Sunday. That's one way to do it. Another way to do it, number two, prioritize people, certain types of people. So on Sundays when you're coming, it's like, who are you going to talk to? I just give you two encouragements. Prioritize someone you don't know. Maybe they look new, maybe you just don't know them, whatever. Prioritize someone you don't know, and then prioritize a member. By doing this, um, <clears throat> some of what's going to happen, I think, is that uh, on Sunday mornings, there won't be as many lonely people, <laughs> and members will be built up. 
And I think we'll all be mutually encouraged. Eric Raymond says this. He says, for some, this may mean prioritizing who you talk to before the service. It may require some thought on what to say as well. But if we don't do this, we'll likely talk to our friends or family. That's not bad. That's, man, do that. Just talking about maybe an additional level of prioritization. We'll likely talk to our friends and family and then neglect sometimes many other people who worship with us. And by doing this, we neglect the opportunity to encourage those around us. Imagine, I love this line, imagine how your church or our church might change if everyone puts this into practice. And what's cool with it, we're not starting from scratch by any means with this. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing that we already, I think, in many ways by God's grace, are exemplary at. Let's keep doing it. Number three, a third way that you can be intentional in going to church, serve. It's your destiny. <laughs> Where do I get that? If you are a Christian, God has hardwired you for the good, for the building up of the church. And serving your church will help you love Jesus more and love what Jesus loves more, a.k.a. the church that he died to obtain with his own blood. Number four, be on time, which is early. <laughs> I had a high school baseball coach who, who told me, <laughs> he would always say, man, on time is late and early is on time. Um, and I get, we, I could preface the heck out of this for the next 15 minutes as I'm looking at my wife who has two kids and functions as a single mom trying to get to church on a Sunday morning. I can preface the heck, I'm not going to, I guess I kind of am doing it, but be on time, <laughs> parentheses, which is early. When we show up early, part of, what, part of what happens is that we're getting our hearts, we're, we're kind of, we're, we're, we're tilling the soil of our hearts to be ready for whatever it is God has for us. We're not in a hurry. Fifthly, be humble and hungry. Humble beneath the Bible and hungry for it. I talked to a woman in our church last week, um, and as, as I was preaching, I, 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 I noticed her because she was very attentive. Um, and afterwards, I just thanked her for being attentive, and she, says, um, she said something like, yeah, I'm, I'm a teacher, and I like to teach my students to have what she said are listening eyes. I love that to have listening eyes. And that, that's a great little tagline to have listening eyes. But what I love um, behind that for Julie is that, that there's this posture of a, of a humility underneath the Bible and a hunger for the Bible there. Something we can continue to develop. <clears throat> Sixth, another way we can be intentional in going to church, sing. Even if you have a below average voice. Amen. Thank you, Perry. I was hoping you would say that. This is for you, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I'm just kidding. There was a non-believing guy, a guy who didn't believe in Jesus, part of our church maybe, I don't know, seven, eight years ago from the UK. And, uh, and he would come to church. He would come to this church. And he would look around. And he would be struck mostly by the fact that people were singing. And he would look around and he would say to himself, man, these people really believe this stuff. <clears throat> Eric Raymond says this. He says, even if you can't sing, belt it out. <laughs> it may just remind the person next to you that God is real and that he is mighty to save. <laughs> Have you ever noticed someone who you see them singing, and you can tell that they believe that God is real. That helps my faith. <clears throat> Seven, 
ask a good question after the service. Definitely in conversations after the service, talk about, man, what are you doing that day? How was the week? Weekly recap. How are the Seahawks doing? How are the Sounders doing? Man, do all that stuff. Don't stop doing that. And maybe add, maybe some of you already do this. Add a degree of intentionality of prioritizing, asking a question like, man, what was, what was God highlighting to you during the service? What did you think about the text that was preached? Is there anything that you're thinking about or stirring on or stewing on that, that, uh, that you think you might try to apply from the sermon. By that degree of however many people are in this room, and then however many people will be in this room at the 11 a.m. service, asking good question like that will then help us take whatever we're doing right now for 40 minutes or so and then apply it deeper into the nooks and crannies of our life just by us simply having a degree of intentionality and asking a good question after the service. Let me give you a little bonus one. How to love the church more is pray for our church. Or I'll say it this way, to keep praying for our church. Boy, do we need it. <laughs> keep praying for our church. And this is what we see in verses 6 through 9. Let's read those together. Verses 6 through 9 says this, pray, somebody say pray, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. We see this repeated refrain of praying for peace. Praying for peace. Peace is this Hebrew word shalom. It's not talking about merely the absence of hostility. That's partially it. But the presence of wholeness. Full-fledged wholeness. Flourishing. Justice. Righteousness. This is the type of peace that the psalmist is saying. Pray for that type of peace. For God's people. For the church. That it might go out from there as well. Let's be real, man. Our, our hearts... At our very core, we long for this, don't we? <laughs> we see where it's not the case, and we long for it, both internally and externally. But let's be real. Um, <clears throat> this type of peace is a pipe dream apart from the gospel. <laughs> Complete pipe dream. This type of peace we can't attain, we can experience, at least not fully, apart from the gospel. Because in the gospel, specifically at the cross of Christ, we see Jesus who took the hostility that we deserved so that we could then get the peace that we don't. Did you catch that? At the cross of Christ, the, the good news that God saves sinners, what we see Jesus do is he receives the hostility that was rightful, that, 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 that you and I deserve so that we could get the peace that we don't deserve. And it's through believing in this Jesus at the cross, him taking the hostility we deserve so we get the peace that we don't deserve, that we then get to be peacemakers and people who pray for peace. But apart from the gospel, it's a pipe dream. We can do good stuff for sure. But the full-fledged reality of the peace that this text is talking about, not just the absence of hostility, but the presence of flourishing, it's only through the gospel. Only through the gospel, amen? <clears throat> I 
Psalm 122 paints this picture of what the church can be, this community of shalom. That's what we get to be. This people bought by the blood of Jesus that build a community of flourishing. Not of smooth sailing, but of flourishing in the midst of the ups and downs of life. A community of healing, a community of forgiveness, a community of wholeness. This is the community of shalom that the psalmist is saying, hey, let's pray for that. And we can repeat that refrain here this morning. Let's pray for that. Something worth giving ourselves to. So what can we pray for? (laughs) The application is really quite simple. It's pray for what they prayed for in this text. Pray for peace. What if that was the refrain and part of of trying trying to... continue to love our church more and more. We see this man going to church, (laughs) gathering with God's people, just like they were doing in Jerusalem, this spiritual rallying point for God's people to get together and to worship God and to point each other's uh, eyes and stir each other's hearts to God. And then we see this praying for the church. What do we pray for? We can pray for what they pray for. Pray for peace, not just the ab. I'm saying it over and over again specifically because I think sometimes culturally when we talk about peace, we talk about the absence of, of, uh, of hostility. That is true and wonderful, and man, let's pursue the heck out of it. And it is also this other aspect of full-fledged flourishing. And boy, do we need that, and it comes through the gospel and gospel people being agents of that type of peace. What's wonderful for us as I was um, doing some prep this week is I was just thinking about you, our church, us, and boy, we're, we're not starting from scratch at all. <laughs> so none of this, don't receive any of this that way. By God's grace, we, 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 much of this is true of us. Let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. This is, this is worth giving ourselves to. <clears throat> Lastly, why? do anything with any of what I just said. Because if we, if we do this, if we continue to try to work this muscle of loving our church, especially coming out of a COVID era where, where church was weird and is weird, and you know, like what, what are we doing? We're trying to rework this muscle. How do we do that? We can apply what this text said. Going to church. <laughs> the faithful ministry of presence and just showing up, going to church and praying for our church. Let's do that and keep doing that together. Let's pray. Jesus, would you um, stir our affections for this church more and more? (laughs) We love you and we love your church as a response, Jesus, to you first loving us. Affirm us, Lord, where we need it. Challenge us where we need it. Cause us to repent where we need to. Encourage us big time, God. Help us to see the beauty of both your universal church and how you see her. And then also to keep engaging in this local church. Lord, for our own flourishing, for the flourishing of the people around us, for the flourishing of our church, for the flourishing of our city and our county and beyond. 
so that, Jesus, we would continue to walk with you, to continue to do what (laughs) this sermon series is entitled, to continue going further up, further in with you, Lord, because there is nothing better than continuing to walk with you, Jesus, and show us the, the irreplaceable reality of walking with you in the context of the local church of which you died to obtain with your own blood. We thank you for it, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. As the band comes up, we're going to um, get ready to, no doubt, sing One of the applications, even for those average to below average. I think one of the most beautiful sounds, I wasn't planning on saying this, uh, for me to hear is average to below average voices singing heartily to our God. (laughs) Isn't that great? Yes, we can laugh at that and we can be stirred by that at the same time. Average to below average voices singing heartily to our God. And then those who have good voices, you kind of even us out a little bit. Thanks. Um, But we're going to sing a couple songs and receive communion. Communion is open to anyone here who trusts in Jesus. Many of you came in already trusting in Jesus. And we pray that your affections would be stirred toward him once again freshly. And some of you came in and, and either thought you knew Jesus um, and, 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 and maybe you, you've realized you, you don't know him. Some of you are asking good questions of the Lord. Um, you've heard of the gospel, that Jesus is the one who took the hostility that we deserve because of our sin against him so that we, through faith in him, might have the peace that we don't deserve. Communion is a reminder of that reality, that that is true for anyone who trusts in Jesus. So there are four stations set up. Read the labels up here as there's wine for one and juice for another. Um, the, the bread represents Jesus' body broken in the place of anyone who would trust in him or who has trusted him. And the juice or the wine represents Jesus' blood spilt in the place of anyone who trusts in him. So we'll do a little instrumental, sing a few songs together. Go receive communion as you feel led.